Acts chapter 3, verses 17 to 26. Let, let, let me read for us. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfills what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who had spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. When you are on a plane, especially if you've been there a lot, and I think the same thing could be said for driving as well, is that the first time you drive, is the, the instructor informs you of all the safety procedures you have to follow. Tells you that you need to look left and right and left and right many times before you, uh, you cross a four-way stop. They tell you that you need to look up at the mirror before you slow down, before you, uh, you turn left or right. In fact, they say every 10 seconds or so, you need to be looking up at the mirror to see what is ar around you. But through time, as you become confident in your driving, you forget those fundamental things. And you tend to drive from one place to another, and you're not even sure how you got there, because you are in your mind thinking about other things. Driving becomes like a reflex. When you are on an aeroplane, the first time you are there, there is that, there is that safety uh, instruction where the stewardess would come and tell you, this is where the emergencies are, this is what you do if there's a loss of carbon pressure. Put on the mask and then help someone else who is near you. This is, the, this is where they would tell you, you need to listen to the stewardesses, to the captain of the plane. But after time, when you have been on the plane a number of times, you stop listening to, to that. You start thinking about your own things. You start wondering who is going to get the armrest um, in your fight between you and your neighbor. You start thinking about when am I going to arrive? That safety procedure which is so essential for saving your life 
becomes background noise, as it were. We stop paying attention to it. There's a danger in that with the Word of God at times. For people who have been believers a long time, where the Word of God can become that uh, background noise. When the Word of God can become something that you're not conscious about and thinking about, that you think we are going to be, uh, reflexively follow God like an old driver who has been driving for 30, 40 years that you don't even think about the gears anymore. There's a danger of that among us as believers. Over the last month or so, we have been looking at the book of Acts as a church together, and we have been zooming in on how God builds his church. The intention for this is to look at how can God build us as we look to 2024. The danger as we listen to these sermons, as we read these texts, that you can be thinking that this is for me as I go out into the community. This is for unbelievers. This is how you become a believer, a Christian. But for me, this doesn't really apply. I've already repented, first of all. I've been baptized, and I know him. It's not for me, it's for others. It can disappear into that background noise, as it were. But I want us to see this morning that what God intends to do in us through his word is not only to teach us how he builds his church, but also to teach us how he sustains his church, how he sustains me and you for how he builds his church is also how he sustains it. How he calls his people is also how he keeps you in him, trusting in him, believing in him. That life of repentance and faith is not just for beginning your Christian life, but it's also for continuing your Christian life. That life of repenting and continuing to listen to God and his word is not just for new believers, but it's for all believers. Whether they've been believers for 10 days or 10 years or 35 years. What you saw last week is how that word, is how the the ministry of James and, uh, and Peter, of Peter and John at the beginning of chapter 3 was a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. What we also saw is that this, this miracle that was performed uh, in, in Palestine was meant to draw people so that they may hear the word of God, so that they may have Christ explained to them. At times we can think that, that that's for other people. But that is for us as well, brothers and sisters. The wonders of God, the miracles, whether this be the miracle of life or the miracles that we witness every day of people turning to him, trusting in him, are there to draw us to the work of God, 
that you may believe that our faith in his ability to work be reaffirmed that you may be strengthened in him so this morning as look at uh, chapter 3 verses 17 to 26 the first thing that i want us to see there is that the appointed savior has come repent from sin and turn to him and that is a message that is that can seem it is for others out there who don't know him that is something that people go out into Arcadia, into Pretoria, and say, the appoint- this appointed Savior of God has come, repent, and turn to him. That it can become about others and not you. But I wanted to say this morning, but it is also to us. Let's look together in verses 17 to 21. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted out of ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfills what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Verse 17 begins with a reminder to the people of Israel that they are, humanly speaking, responsible for what happened to Jesus. That they're the ones who decided to choose a murderer we saw last week, Barabbas, instead of Christ as he was being offered to them. They're the ones who said, who shouted, crucify, crucify, in the crowd. They're the ones who ignored Jesus as he said he is the king of the Jews. He's the savior, he's God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. They're the ones who ignored him and wanted him dead. They acted out of ignorance, Peter reminds them here. That when you did that, you did not know. But now you know. Remember in chapter 1, he said that this one whom was killed has now risen from the dead. He's not there in the tomb anymore. He says, now you know. Now you know who he is. Now you know that this man who was speaking in tongues declaring the wonders of God are not drunk, but rather have been empowered with the Spirit. And God is calling all of you to turn to him in faith. Now you know, Peter tells him. They acted out of ignorance before, but there's no excuse for ignorance now. In the Old Testament, if you look at uh, at Numbers 15, God tends to treat people who, um, who, are, who are acting out of ignorance, those who sin unintentionally, differently than those who sin intentionally. Those who sin intentionally can be forgiven by God, they can make a sacrifice to God. 
But those who willfully sin, those who uh, know what is right and still do what is wrong, are treated harshly by God. They are cut off, removed from a family of God. In the New Testament, John said a similar thing, didn't he, if you remember last year in our sermon series? That no one who knows God keeps on sinning. No one who knows God gets into the habit of continuing to sin, even though they know that something is wrong. And John says, that person doesn't even know God. They don't know him. They are far from him. But instead, the one who knows God, when they sin, in chapter 1, they confess their sins and turn to God in faith. And God forgives them their sins. So now to the Israelites, they have a choice. They had Christ killed out of ignorance, but now are they going to continue in sin or not? Are they going to continue ignoring him? Are they going to continue ignoring the one who has been sent by God? The one uh, that the Old Testament spoke about, the one that was foretold by God, to have been the suffering servant. Are they going to ignore him? Or are they going to turn to him in faith? Peter turns to them and says, yeah, in verses 18, that and says to them that this Christ that you had killed is a fulfillment of the messages of the prophets who spoke about the Messiah who would suffer. There are many passages in the Old Testament that speak about that. I just want to point us to one, for instance, in Psalm 22, that spoke about David, who was being persecuted and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but did you not answer? But by night, I find no rest. Peter turns to, to the people of Israel and he says, you know those passages that spoke about the suffering servant of God, the one who has been chosen by God? They were pointing to Christ, to Jesus. Just as he cried out on the night before his crucifixion. My God, my, on the day that he was crucified, sorry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was forsaken at the cross so that you and I who are far from God will be united, reconciled to God. It was pointing to Christ, Peter tells them. And he says, now, you are called to repentance. You are called to repent and turn away from sin to God. In verse 19, your response to this 
should then be repentance. Then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Repentance means to turn around, to return to God through faith in Christ, to be reconciled. You who was walking this way, to now turn around and walk this way. You who was alienated from God, to now be united to God through faith. You who was ignorant, now out of the knowledge of, of knowing who Christ is and why he has come into the world, to go back to God and ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And in verses 19 to 20, he offers three encouragements here for repenting. The first one is that so that your sins may be wiped out. He's pointing out that the main obstacle between you and God is your sin. It's a sin that you inherit from your forefather, Adam and Eve. Is that obstacle needs to be removed and it can only be removed by the ultimate sacrifice. They had, they practiced the, the sacrificial system before through lambs and goats and pigeons. But that wasn't enough, we are told in Hebrews. It was a temporary measure. But now the Lamb of God has been sacrificed. And the only way in which they could be united to God is by turning to him in faith. So the first encouragement to them is that your sins will be wiped out. It will be as if you had this record. And this record had all your sins in it and all the crimes that say, this person deserves an eternity away from God. And the blood of Jesus, through his death, covers that. And he gives you his record. And he says, take this. My record is clean. And you are accepted before God on that basis. You are accepted as though you are perfect, even though you are imperfect. And the second thing is that he says there is that so that times of refreshing may come. I think here he is speaking about another way that he has been speaking um, to the people who are who, whom he is calling to repentance. If you look back at two uh, thirty-eight, it's always that you who are who who is called to repentance, you are baptized and you receive the Holy Spirit. I think that. Times of refreshing care points to the refreshing work of the Spirit, the cleansing work of the Spirit of God. That softens our consciences and enables us to hear God's word and want to obey it. It is God in us through His Spirit that enables us to be reconciled to God, that gives us the peace that transcends all understanding. 
but enables us in this life, though we live in times of suffering, to be reassured that you are loved and cared for by God, that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. And lastly there in verse 20, the last motivation is that you who are, who are called to repent so that your sins may be wiped out, so that you may receive the Holy Spirit of God and be refreshed by God, that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, may return. Through the Spirit of God, you who are far from God will be united to God. Your unity now through the Spirit is nothing compared to seeing him face to face when he returns to restore all things, verse 21. When he comes to unite us, to be united with us for all eternity. Well, we no longer have to pray to him in the way that we just did. But we'll be able to speak to him, be with him face to face. There's an offer to the people of Israel here. Is that through Christ, here's the offer of salvation. Are they going to take it or not? It is to people who are, for example, who are, who are drowning. And a boat comes and it says, here's the boat and life is found if you get on the boat. But salvation will only come if there is repentance, there is faith, there is trust in him that is getting on the boat and not continuing in our own strength to kick and scream. The first part of this passage is sort of like the, a, a, a positive encouragement, as it were that says, do you know what has been bought for you? Do you know the benefits of being in Christ? The wiping away of your sins, the being granted the Holy Spirit of God, the, or the, the restoration that is offered by God when he comes back. So, to use a... Uh, a movie illustration. The first part of this passage, verses 17 to 21, is the good guy, as it were, who comes in in the, in the interrogation room. And he says, don't you know the benefits of confessing to this crime that you did? It's the, uh, it's the carrot, as it were. The second part turns to the danger of neglecting that which is offered to us. It turns to the, uh, the, the loss, as it were, of ignoring this message, of not repenting, of not listening to Jesus. Verses 22 to 26. What, what Peter wants us to see here is that a prophet like Moses has come. So therefore listen to him. 
A prophet like Moses has come, therefore, listen to him. In the first part, it was a promised Messiah, the promised Savior has come, repent and turn to him in faith. In the second part is, listen. In the first part, the instruction is in verse 19, repent, repent, turn to God in faith. In the second part, the instruction is in verse 22. Are you going to listen or not? Are you going to listen or are you going to ignore this offer of salvation offered to you? Look with me in verses 22 and 23. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Part Peter comes to these people and combines Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus 23 and he says to him, that the Christ who has come into the world, the one that you guys had crucified, is the prophet, the prophet that was promised by God. Now is the time to listen to him. Now is the time to hear the message. Now is the time to come to him. And it's interesting here, but he uses this idea of a prophet. If you remember, a prophet is the one who speaks to the people on behalf of God, as opposed to a priest, the one who speaks to God on behalf of the people and stands in between. Peter here says, here's one who has come, who is from among you, who is a Galilean, an Israelite, an heir of David himself, who comes through that line of the promise, and he has come to you, and he says, salvation is only found in me. Life is only found in me. Are you going to listen or not? Are you going to listen to him? To go back to the illustration again, as, this, as the lifeguard is standing on the board saying, come closer, here's a, here's a boy, they call them that round plastic thing that's inflated, hold on to that and come closer to me, I'll pull the rope in. The question is, are you going to listen to that salvation that is offered to you? Are you going to listen or are you going to ignore and not and what nothing to do with it. Verse 23 in the second part here says, The one who does not listen, which is where the stick comes, the one who does not listen will be cut off from their people. The one who does not listen does not get life. The one who does not listen 
will not be reconciled to God through faith. The one who does not listen. During the restoration of all things, will not enjoy the benefits of a relationship with God. The one who chooses to ignore this message of salvation, to ignore Christ, will not gain life. The second thing that I want us to see here is that as you, if you look at uh, verse 23 and 24, when it, when it gives this, this warning, in, at the beginning in, verse, in the second part of verse 22, that you must listen to everything he tells you, that anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Is that it is, this is a message that has been given to Israelites. To people who, are, who know that they are the recipients of the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To people who are part of the Jewish community. Who think that they are heirs of God's kingdom. He comes now and he says, You who is a uh, Israelite by birth, if you do not listen to Jesus Christ who has been killed, if you do not pay heed to the message of the cross and trust in him, you will be cut off from the people of God. That is basically saying that it's not enough to be an Israelite by birth. But one is to be an Israelite who trusts in God through Christ. It's not enough to, uh, to claim the promises of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But one is to trust that, that the one that they foretold would come and save his people from death. That they have to Listen to him. They may be heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with his, with, with their forefathers, Abraham. But they have to turn to Christ to claim those promises. Of course, this message is not just for new believers or unbelievers. But it's for all of us. This reminder is not just for those who are on the outside. As we go out to them and tell them that by hearing this gospel, by hearing this message and ignoring it, you are cutting yourself off from life. But it's also for you and I, brothers and sisters. You who, who have who claim to have trusted in him, to be in him, to be a believer. That is an encouragement for you and I to continue to trust in him, to continue to live lives of repentance and faith, to continue to confess our sins before God and to one another, 
to continue to be changed by God in this relationship with him. To say we are sorry and to have his word change us and transform us and make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Imagine being in a relationship, whether it's friendship or marriage or, or dating with someone, where you never say you're sorry and you never listen to them. You never do what they ask you to do. That's not a relationship. Becoming a believer and establishing this relationship with the holy, righteous and loving God means that we who are sinful, wicked, by nature needs to be constantly turning away from sin and turning towards righteousness. Need to be constantly confessing our sins before God. Need to be living a life of repentance and faith. We need to be saying sorry to God and paying attention to him through his word and becoming more and more like his son. We who are sinful need to be aware of our own sin and you need to take seriously the word of God as, as it is found in the Bible. At the center of our relationship with God is this transformation. Turning away from sin and becoming more like his son through the help of the Spirit. And for those of us who do not know him, that's the first thing that we need to pay attention to. How can, I, how can God, through trusting in him through his Spirit, Turn my life around. That's the prayer that you need to be having. And for us who have, who have known him, who trust in him, need to hear the words he gave to, uh, to his disciples who were already with him, by the way, in Luke chapter 9, to James, Peter, and John, as a voice came up from the cloud in chapter 9 uh, during this, his transfiguration, his revelation to them. Remember what that voice said? This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Other versions says, this is my son whom I love. In Mark, listen to him. Pay attention to him, to his word. Let your life be guided by his voice as, as it is found in his word. That is a call for those who do not know him and for you and I who know him. Let's pray to God and ask God to help us with that. Heavenly Father, help us to take sin seriously, to turn away from it, to know that us who have been adopted into your family should not be content with living in sin, 
but rather through faith we should repent and be transformed by your word into the children that you have called us to. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are worthy of the gospel in which we have been called. Help us to be men and women who turn to God in faith, who abhor sin and love holiness, who do not give the evil one a foothold into our lives, who take your word seriously and want our lives to be shaped by it, who listen to your son, I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.